All right. Well, friends, let's turn to the word. Um, our scripture reading this morning comes from Luke chapter 18, verses 15 to 17. Luke 18, 15 to 17. And if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there with me now. If we haven't met, my name is Eddie. I serve as one of the pastoral interns here at the church. Um, as you have heard, as uh, Elder Rock prayed, uh, Pastor Andrew will be returning from his sabbatical in a few short weeks, and we are rounding out our lineup of guest preachers with our own interns. Um, so I'm going to be preaching today, and our brother Junie will be preaching next week. The idea uh, with having the interns end this sabbatical period has been to give you all a bit of a sense of home uh, with some in-house preaching as we prepare to land this plane Either, either that or to make you long for Pastor Andrew's preaching that much more. But it works out either way. Well, if you found your places and if you're able, I invite you to stand with me now. We stand as our act of worship. And this is God's word, so we read and receive it with reverence. Please follow along in your Bibles or on the screens beside me. Luke 18, verses 15 to 17. Receive now God's word. Now they were bringing even infants to him, that is Jesus, that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him saying, let the children come to me and do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. The grass withers and the flower falls. The Lord of the Lord Amen. Please be seated. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this day that you have made. And we thank you for this church, this church family that you give us to worship with. And now we thank you. Uh, for this word. We thank you for your word. So would you teach us by it? Um, open the eyes of our heart, Lord, uh, to see Jesus and to taste and see that he is good. So we pray for the help of your spirit now upon us. Uh, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, if you've been around, um, you might know that we are currently in the process of wrapping up our community groups for the spring. I know a few groups have their last meeting today, but my CG had its last official meeting uh, a few weeks ago, and as it happened, I, along with a few others, uh, we were assigned to provide the food for this last supper. And since it was the last meeting, uh, we wanted to do something a little special. So we said, we're going to cook. And of course, when you're cooking for a group, uh, it helps to buy your groceries in bulk. So we said, let's go to Costco. Naturally, the next question was, does anyone have a Costco membership? Right, because you need a Costco membership in order to get in. And we were a bunch of single people. Of course we didn't. But it turned out that one of us had her mom's Costco card. <laughs> so we were like, okay, we're good. That's good enough for us. And so we went to Costco. We filled up our cart. We got in line to check out. And then, unfortunately for us, and you'll know this if you shop at the North Wales Costco, 
they've begun to crack down on card sharing. Uh, if you're not the actual card holder, like if it's not you whose name is on the card, uh, they're going to turn you away. They won't let you check out. So when the employee who was enforcing this found out that we were in on the mom's card, we were turned away. We were forced to abandon the card. And we all experienced for the first time this new thing, the Costco walk of shame. <laughs> and so we walked away empty-handed. Well, I share this story uh, not just as a PSA for your Costco shopping, but because it makes us think about this question. Who is allowed in? Who's allowed in? Now, in, in this little episode, we thought it would be enough for us just to have a Costco card uh, for us to get in. Uh, and it was true that we were able to get in the door, but the fact that we weren't able to buy anything uh, showed us that in order to really get in, in a meaningful way, in a useful way, you have to be a member. A Costco is for members only, unfortunately. And to the extent that it matters for buying anything, only members who pay that annual fee are allowed in. And if you think about it, this question, who's allowed in, uh, is quite a strong motivating factor in our lives. Um, think of college admissions. Think of job applications, even something like finding a romantic partner. Each of these has its own criteria for inclusion. And so we put ourselves to work to meet those criteria so that we can be allowed in. Well, in this section of the Gospel of Luke, where we find the passage that we just read, uh, Jesus is giving a series of lessons that also answer that question, who's allowed in? More specifically, he's telling us this. Who's allowed in to the kingdom of God? What are the criteria for inclusion into God's kingdom? Who is eligible to become a citizen of heaven? <clears throat> we find that each of the answers that Jesus gives is always surprising. And yet this is probably the most important version of who's allowed in that we can ask in this life. How do you get into the kingdom of heaven? Who's allowed in? If you look in your Bibles, in the passage right before ours, verses 9 to 14, you have the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Who's allowed into the kingdom? Not the religious expert, the Pharisee, who exalts himself by all the good things that he's done, but the sinner, the tax collector, who humbles himself and cries out to God for mercy. The kingdom, Jesus says, is for the one who humbles himself. And that's a little surprising. And if you look at the passage right after the one we just read, verses 18 to 30, uh, that's the story of the rich young ruler. Who's allowed into the kingdom? It's not the one who has much, not the one who has a lot to offer, but the one who is willing to give everything. The kingdom is for the one who's willing to give everything for Jesus. And that is a little surprising too. It defies our expectations. We're going to see another surprising answer in our passage today. Who's allowed into the kingdom? Who is the kingdom for? We're going to see that in this passage, Jesus shows us, you see it on the slide, the kingdom is for kids. The kingdom is for kids. 
And I do mean that um, not primarily in a literal sense, but in a spiritual sense. We're going to talk about what that means. That's where we're going. Uh, but we are also going to see that this passage does show us how to think about the actual children among us as well. And that is very important to Jesus. And what I want us to do this morning is to walk through this passage. We're going to go verse by verse, and we're going to see what Jesus says about kids and the kingdom and getting in. I want to organize this passage and our sermon this morning under these three headings. The disciples rebuke, Jesus's command, and the requirement for entry. Once again, that's the disciples rebuke, Jesus's command, and the requirement for entry. First, the disciples rebuke. Our story begins in verse 15. So look there with me now. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. Now at this point in Jesus's earthly ministry, Jesus has become somewhat of an established celebrity. And people from all over have heard how this guy Jesus has come onto the scene and he's teaching with authority. He's healing the sick, performing miracles, casting out demons. And so everybody wants to get a little piece of the action. Everybody wants to brush up against Jesus uh, to get a little piece of blessing for themselves. Um, and they want this, it turns out, not just for themselves, but also even for their little babies. Um, in the original Greek, this word that's translated here as infants is used earlier by Luke to describe John the Baptist when he was still in his mother's womb, Luke 141. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And in the original Greek, this is the same word. Um, so we're talking babies here. And that's what this word means. And so people are bringing their little babies to Jesus that he might touch them, that he might confer some special spiritual blessing on them. Jesus is in town and people are wanting uh, even their little babies to get in on the blessings that are available here. Some of you know that a few weeks ago, Taylor Swift was in town here in Philly and Deacon Dan and Gloria were able to go to her concert and they were bringing even Nicolette to her, that she might touch her. <laughs> but that's the scene. Um, Jesus is doing his ministry. He's preaching and teaching. And all these excited parents are bringing their little babies to him, hoping that he'll touch them. Um, in Matthew's account of this story in Matthew 19, uh, it says they wanted Jesus to lay hands on these babies and pray for them. And these parents want Jesus to bless their kids. They can tell that Jesus is someone with um, some special spiritual authority. And they say, I want my baby to experience the blessing that Jesus can give. But when the disciples see this, they are not very happy. So verse 15 continues. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. They rebuked the parents who were bringing these babies to Jesus. Now, Luke doesn't tell us exactly why the disciples rebuked them or what exactly they said, but I think we can say with a pretty high degree of confidence, we can gather from the context that it's probably because they're thinking, Jesus doesn't have time for these little babies. There is real ministry to do, right? People need to hear about the kingdom. Jesus has preaching to do, 
he needs to spend his time with people who are actually going to be able to understand the message, right? And there's sick people that need to be healed, demons that need to be cast out. Surely Jesus has more important things to do, more important people to meet, more pressing needs of ministry, right? I mean, anybody can play in the nursery with the kids, but this is Jesus. Uh, so G disciples are thinking, Jesus doesn't have time for your little kids. Uh, leave him alone. It's as if they're saying your babies are annoying him. They're distracting Jesus from real ministry. They're an inconvenience, an interruption to Jesus's ministry. <clears throat> you know, it's very often said to youth pastors or children's pastors, Pastor, it's great that you're serving our kids, but what are your future plans? When do you plan to move on to real ministry? As if ministry to adults is more legitimate or more meaningful for the kingdom. So Junior would like you all to stop asking him that. <laughs> I'm kidding. He, he, did not, he did not put me up to that. Um, but that seems to be the attitude that the disciples have here. And we would say that that attitude is wrong. Um, but they're, they're saying, yes, it's good to help the kids, but there's real ministry to do. But Jesus has a very different take on the issue. And we see that in his response to the disciples being so dismissive of these children. And that brings us to our second heading, Jesus's command. What does Jesus say in response to the disciples turning these little babies away? Verse 16. But Jesus called them to him, saying, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. You see, Jesus does not view these babies as an annoyance or a distraction at all. So he says to his disciples, he's full of love, let the children come to me, and do not hinder them. Don't turn them away, let them come. And, and then he gives a reason to such meaning to those who are like these babies, to such belongs the kingdom of God. The kingdom is for them. It's not just for the adults or whoever you think is mature. Uh, somehow, the kingdom is for kids. Now, as I said earlier, the primary concern of this passage is spiritual, and we are going to get to that later. But I would say that there is one main secondary concern of our passage here that is aimed at our application. Uh, it's not the main lesson, but it is a very important lesson that arises from the text, and that is this. Here's the big point of application. How do we think about actual children and their place in the church and in the kingdom? How do we think about kids, the kids here and their place in our church? I think we have to stop and consider these questions for a moment. I realize that the vast majority of us here in this church, myself included, uh, did not grow up uh, with, in the kind of church setting that had kids, little kids staying in the worship service. Uh, for most of us here, uh, the children would have their own service and uh, when they got old enough, they would go to youth group and the youth group would have their own service. Uh, but our church has chosen not to do that. 
Um, here at Cornerstone, we practice what's called covenantal worship. And that means that we encourage parents to keep their children with them through the whole worship service and worship together. We believe that's, um, we believe that's what the Bible teaches us to do. And we do that because we believe it's the children's right to be here in this gathering of God's people because they are children of the covenant of God. Kids belong here by right. And we've decided here that we don't want to strip our kids of that right. And so we include them here. But if you've been here for some time or if you've been in another church that practices covenantal worship, um, you'll have seen that covenantal worship in practice is kind of challenging. Right? It's challenging for the parents of very young kids because they have to watch their kids throughout the service. And um, oftentimes they may not be able to focus on the service because of that. Um, and it can be challenging for the congregation too. A worship service is a lot for a young kid to sit through. And kids get restless and will often make noise while people are trying to focus. We heard a little bit of noise in the sanctuary here. Um, and frankly, uh, it can get pretty noisy sometimes. And so we might be tempted to think that this covenantal worship thing is more trouble than it's worth. It's too much trouble to keep little kids in the service. And perhaps you'll relate to these struggles that I've just described in, in, in some way or another. But whether you're a parent of young kids or not, Jesus' response in our passage here gives us some help. Jesus says to let the little children come because they have a place in his kingdom. And so there's a comfort and a challenge here for us. I want to share a comfort and a challenge. And first, a comfort. Uh, this, I, this I want to address particularly to those of you who are parents with young kids here. Uh, verse 16 begins with these words, but Jesus, right? We, we saw right before this, the disciples were turning the kids away, but Jesus, and praise God that there's a but Jesus. Um, he's not like us. The disciples had been dismissive of the children, but Jesus, Jesus objects to what they're doing. And others may view kids as an annoyance, but Jesus, we see, has, a totally, has the totally opposite attitude, right? He says, what does he say? He says, let them come. They are worthy of my kingdom. They are worthy of my time and attention. And it's good that they're here. This is real ministry. That is Jesus' attitude toward the little kids in front of him. And if you have little kids, um, even older kids, I want you to know that that is Jesus' attitude toward your kids being here. It's good that they're here. Um, parents, I want to commend you. I want to honor you because by being here and having your kids with you, you are giving your kids the gift of seeing their parents worship and seeing a whole community of other grown-ups worship. And this is something that Pastor David Yoon uh, encouraged you all with a few weeks ago when he was here. I want to reiterate that. Um, <clears throat> that's a great gift um, that you are giving for your children, difficult as it may be. 
Um, in the Lord's providence, that was not a gift that probably the majority of this congregation was able to enjoy growing up. But it can be for the kids here. It's good that they're here. It's a good thing that you're doing. Um, so that's the comfort. We are glad they're here. But most importantly, Jesus is glad that they're here. Second, we have a challenge. And this one is for everyone. So if you tuned out for that part, uh, come back. Whether you have kids or not, um, I think we all need to feel the force of Jesus' words here in verse 16. He says, let the children come to me and do not hinder them. On one hand, it is true that with these words, he is um, just registering his disagreement with um, what the disciples have done in turning away these little babies. Uh, but don't miss the fact that these are imperatives. These are commands. Are there any ways that we could help the children among us to come to Jesus? Or are there ways that we are perhaps hindering them from coming to him? These are questions that I think fall on all of us as, as members of this community. In the spirit of listening to Jesus here, in the spirit of obeying him, uh, I give this challenge first. Um, this is for um, the parents and for anybody who wants to become a parent someday. Um, you do not want your kids to grow up and be able to say, I heard the gospel in church, but I never heard the gospel at home. So tell them about Jesus. Tell them about Jesus, that he is good. Tell them that he had mercy on you, even though you're a sinner. Tell them about Jesus. It is not an exaggeration to say that their lives will depend on it. So that's for parents. And here's my challenge for the rest of you. Take an interest in the children of our church. Jesus does. Our passage shows us Christ's heart for actual children. It's not purely a spiritual lesson. It is a spiritual lesson, but there's also this application here. This is Christ's heart for children. So have Christ's heart for children too. Pray and desire that these kids would know Jesus. When you hear them making noise in worship, train yourself to not be annoyed and instead be glad that they are here. Again, because it's good that they're here. And their noises are your signal that they are here and participating uh, in the way that they're able. Serve them and show them by your example what it looks like to love and follow Christ. You are the people that they are seeing as they grow up here. And if you want to serve in children's ministry, send an email to admin at cornerstone-pc.com. We'd love to have you. <laughs> Let the children come to Jesus and do not hinder them. To such belongs the kingdom of God. Now, I've gone into depth with this application because I believe the passage required deeper reflection on it. Um, but as I said earlier, 
Um, the main lesson that we get from this story is a spiritual lesson. The application is secondary to that. Um, the main thing is the spiritual lesson, and it goes back to the question that we asked at the beginning. Who is allowed into the kingdom? How do you get into the kingdom of God? And that brings us to our third heading, the requirement for entry. And this is who's allowed in. This is how you and I can get into the kingdom. Verse 17, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. That's the spiritual lesson. That's how you get into the kingdom. In order to get into the kingdom of God, in order to get into the fold of heaven, you have to receive it like a child. Like a child. Now, let me ask you, what does Jesus mean here when he says, like a child, that you must receive the kingdom like a child? How do you receive the kingdom like a child? What are these qualities of childlikeness that we're supposed to have? You know, this passage, as well as the parallel accounts in Matthew and Mark, they are where we get this idea, this phrase that people sometimes use, childlike faith. That phrase is not used in the text of the Bible, but it's at least intended to come out of this story. But I want to suggest to you that this idea of childlike faith is very often construed in a way that's quite different from what Jesus actually means here. I think when we hear this, when we hear that we're supposed to have childlike faith, we tend to think of how little kids are naive and pure and innocent and trusting. They just believe what they're told and they don't ask too many questions, right? You're probably picturing kids who are like five, six, seven years old, angelic little things. And we think Jesus is telling us to be like that. Don't ask too many questions. Don't, don't try to be all intellectual about it. Just be a nice little kid when it comes to the faith and cooperate and just believe. Childlike faith. But I'm convinced that that is not what Jesus is saying here when he says we have to receive the kingdom like a child. I think that uh, that understanding of childlike faith that I just described falls apart for at least two reasons. First, and I say this with all affection for kids, little kids are not all that angelic and trusting all the time. They, they have a lot of precious moments. They also have a lot of not so precious moments. Um, and as for kids being trusting, um, I think more often what's in view is that kids are gullible and easy to take advantage of. Um, and that is not how our Lord deals with us. Um, and in, in any case, kids are not that easy believing in some ways. They're very inquisitive, right? The parents here will know much better than me that kids, as soon as they're able to think and talk, they're just asking questions all the time. And I could go on, but my point here is that that notion of childlike faith as a kind of innocent and uncritical trust is not actually accurate to what real children are like. Um, if childlike faith means naively and innocently trusting, uh, 
children are not really a great illustration to that point. But the second, and I think uh, the more compelling reason why this understanding of childlike faith falls apart is this. Jesus says, receive the kingdom like a child. Well, when he says this, who are the actual children that he's picturing in his mind? I would put my money that it's the little kids who are actually right in front of him. And we said earlier, um, Luke specified in verse 15 that people are bringing infants. Infants. Many of these kids probably aren't even toddlers yet. Some of them might even be newborns. Right? Nobody is stooping down to these little kids and saying, go to Uncle Jesus, go, go run over there, he's waiting for you, because they're not able to walk yet. Um, they're not going anywhere unless someone brings them over, right? And that's the kind of children that are before Jesus' eyes or perhaps sitting in his lap when Jesus says, receive the kingdom like a child. Receive the kingdom like one of these. So the childlike quality that Jesus is telling us to have is not easy believing. It's not innocence, but helplessness and neediness. The children you've been picturing when you think childlike faith are probably too old. Get them down to the infant stage and that's what Jesus says we need to be like needy and helpless. You know, we've been very blessed at our church to have a steady stream of babies coming through. Um, and it's been really moving, really uh, exciting for me uh, to see our friends here becoming parents, many of them for the first time. Like, man, God has been good in growing families. Um, and I think every parent here will know um, far better than I do, of course, the just unimaginable joy of bringing a life into the world. But uh, parents will also know that, especially in the early days, uh, when the kid is an infant, that that joy is mixed in with a great deal of exhaustion and sleepless nights precisely because babies are extraordinarily needy. They really cannot do anything by themselves. They are utterly dependent on their parents to do anything, right? To eat, to sleep, to poop, to get from one side of the room to the other. They are the picture of helplessness. And they are the picture that God has given us of helplessness. That's what Jesus wants us to see here. Helplessness and neediness are the defining characteristics of childlikeness that we need to have if we're going to enter the kingdom. Jesus is giving us an object lesson here. Do you see how helpless these little babies are? That is meant to show you what you look like before God in your spiritual state. That is a picture of you. And if you want to get into the kingdom, you need to understand yourself that way. And this is surprising. It's surprising because in our natural tendency of thinking, we 
don't consider ourselves to be all that helpless. We really don't want to be helpless like that. We're inclined to try to earn our way into the kingdom and into God's favor by being awesome or doing awesome things. We try to earn clout, right? Spiritual and otherwise. Uh, we work so hard to prove our worth because we want to be seen as worthy. But the spiritual problem, our spiritual problem is not that we haven't tried hard enough. We use this language, we say that we're spiritually sick or broken. Uh, and this language is not wrong per se. The Bible also uses that language, but they don't tell the whole story. They don't get to the bottom of our spiritual situation apart from Christ, right? Because if you're sick, you can just get up and take some meds. If you're broken or wounded, you can mend your wounds and wait for time to heal. But when it comes to our sin, our spiritual state, we are helpless, just like little babies. You can just as easily tell a newborn child to run a marathon as you can tell a sinner to earn their way into the kingdom of God. And that is why the Bible um, says something stronger than that we are spiritually sick or broken. It says we are spiritually dead. Ephesians 2, and you were once dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Right? You, you can't tell a dead person to get up and do anything for themselves. You're totally inert. And this is what theologians refer to as total depravity, or sometimes, and I think um, more clearly for our purposes today, a total inability. And that's what it's called sometimes. Because, um, because we are sinners, our best works, our best efforts to prove our worth are stained with sin and cannot save us. We are totally depraved. That doesn't mean we are as evil as we could possibly be, but it does mean that evil pervades everything that we do. We are totally unable and helpless on our own, just like little babies, to meet God's righteous standard and find our way into the kingdom of God. The good news of the gospel is that God has not left us in our baby-like helplessness, right? We are not infants left to die out in the cold. No, God has sent his son and he sent his own spirit to bring us in for anyone who would trust in Jesus's death and resurrection for salvation. When Jesus says, let the children come to me, yes, he is talking about the babies on one level, but on a deeper level, when he says, let the children come to me, he's talking about you and me. He says, let them come to me. We are helpless like infants and cannot come to Jesus on our own. But it's when we realize that helplessness, that quality of childlikeness, an empty hand, is how we are to receive the kingdom like a child, that's when the Spirit carries us to the waiting arms of Jesus. One commentator explains it this way. Um, I have an extended quote here. It's a little long, but um, I'll read the whole thing because I think it is helpful. In this story, 
children are not blessed for their virtues, but for what they lack. They come only as they are, small, powerless, without sophistication, as the overlooked and dispossessed of society. To receive the kingdom of God as a child is to receive it as one who has no credits, no clout, no claims. A little child has absolutely nothing to bring, and whatever a child receives, he or she receives by grace on the basis of sheer neediness rather than by any merit inherent in him or herself. Little children are paradigmatic disciples for only empty hands can be filled. And this is what we mean when we say the kingdom is for kids. Um, the most important sense of that statement is the spiritual one. The kingdom of God is for those who know that they are at best needy and helpless little babies who need someone else to bring them in because they can't do it on their own. Jesus does not despise your neediness or helplessness. Your neediness or helplessness is what draws him to you with love and mercy. And it makes him say, let that one come to me and do not hinder them. I want that one here in my kingdom. That little helpless baby. Dear friends, in a sense, you will never outgrow this infant-like neediness for Jesus. Um, you are this needy infant at the beginning of your spiritual journey, at the time that you first believe. But you continue to be this needy little infant for the rest of, rest of your life. Um, you may grow in Christian maturity and the fruit of the Spirit, and you should. Um, but in a different sense, you never graduate from being a little kid in the kingdom who needs Jesus just like a little baby needs her mother. Only empty hands can be filled. But Jesus loves to pour his mercy into the hands of sinners who repent. And amazingly, that makes us precious in his sight. We are, so to speak, little kids in Jesus' divine nursery. But that's not a bad place to be. Friends, may we be content to be kids in the kingdom. Let's pray. Lord, um, we confess that um, far too often um, we, uh, we spend our lives uh, wanting to prove that we are big boys and girls, um, that we can do it. Uh, but we thank you that um, although you do call us to holiness, you have not required us uh, to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. Um, 
We thank you that um, you have had mercy on us who are helpless little children. We thank you that you've carried us in. Lord, uh, we pray that um, you would teach us this dependence that comes to you empty-handed. Um, help us to grow in that each day. Um, and help us also, especially, Lord, uh, once we've realized that about ourselves, um, to show the same kindness and compassion to the little children who are here with us. Lord, help us to love them. Be our help. We pray and ask in Jesus' strong name. Amen.